Welcome to the April 30th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 19, and the sermon is entitled, Be Careful to Remember, delivered today by Pastor Clyde Moyer, Jr. I'm thrilled at what God's doing here and has done here, and it seems as if he's blessing the prayer of Jabez in this place because our boundaries and our horizons keep expanding. From when I first got here, I don't know a single person who could have envisioned the growth of the congregation or the potential worldwide outreach through the internet because there was no internet. There were no cell phones. There were still party lines. As amazing as that is, I have no doubt whatsoever that God is not done with us here and that he is gonna continue to bless this ministry and grow it because we care about what he wants instead of what we want. The Lord continues to bring immensely talented and bright people here who have visions and ideas of their own and they're bringing children of all ages. God never makes mistakes and he certainly did not lead you here to, to warm 20 inches of cushion on the pew. God led you here because he's got something for you to do, a new ministry that you're gonna start very possibly things that we haven't even begun to think about yet. And if you ever need a lift spiritually, go hang out with their children and young adults. They're awesome. I got to talk to the King Jesus kids last week and it was wonderful. They're scary smart. They are excited. Our youth are excited. They're not only digging into the Word of God, they're sharing the Word of God when they go out into the world. These young people are amazingly bright and gifted and I genuinely love them. They are my guarantee of peace that this church will be in good hands, better hands than mine ever were. Folks, we need to intentionally take the time to invest in our young people. They are treasures that God has gifted us with. Talk to them, make sure that they're doing all right. Make certain they know that you believe in them. Make sure they know that you have their back and you mean it. Let them know that you love them and that you want to help them along. Don't just give lip service to it. I am personally determined to support and be there for any of our young people I can, as often as I can, for as long as I can. They are Clifford Baptist Church of tomorrow. We've come a long way from the church that I joined 57 years ago but I'm extremely excited, more so now than I was when I got here. Even in the midst of the wonderful way that God has blessed us, we desperately need to keep our focus firmly locked on Jesus. Every church, and especially a church that God has blessed greatly, walks a razor-thin line, where one side will bring greater commitment and service to the Lord, and the other side brings the temptation to take a break, slow down and enjoy the sweet fragrance of things accomplished in the past. And that second one is evil. There is a great danger in letting our spiritual guard down for even a little while because walking with the Lord is like roller skating uphill. You either maintain focus and keep working and moving upward or you'll begin coasting back to where you used to be. There is no standing still in the walk with the Lord. And it's always harder to make the climb the second time. I am, believe it or not, of the last generation of people that can remember the mistakes we made that held us back. 
I also remember the things the Lord did to bring us from where we were to where we are. And I don't ever want us to go back. Please take your Bibles, if you would, and I hope you have them, and turn to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. It'll be Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 and 19. And this is where we'll spend our time. The primary ideas of these two verses are the sermon. That's Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 and 19. And God's word says, Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Now, not everyone in here was raised like I was with King James speak. And for those of you that weren't, I'm going to read the same two verses again in the New Living Translation, which I believe does a very accurate job of transferring the same thought. So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Quick point of explanation, when you tie them to your forehead, that's referring to something called a phylactery, that in Jesus' day it was a small box that fit on a headband, and in the box were, were copies of some of the scriptures of the Lord or the word of the Lord. The Torah would be there. So it's saying not to tie the box to your head, even though that's what the Jewish folks did. It's talking about inside your head. Place it in there. Solidify its seat in there and think about it constantly. We're told in these verses that if we're going to make it, we have to keep the word of the Lord in our mind and in front of us at all times. This is true of churches, people, and civilizations. The German philosopher Greg George Hegel famously said, the only thing that we learn from history is that we learn nothing from history. And George Santayana said, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. I believe both of those are very accurate. And that is why I'm bringing up the subject of the things that I remember. The Jewish people, and Jeffrey in a recent sermon alluded to this very directly, were told, you are required to teach your children what I have done, what you have done that is wrong, what God has blessed and what God has cursed. Because if you do not teach them, they will not understand. They will slip away. As a church, we must choose intentionally not to repeat the mistakes of the past. I'm hoping you will allow me to walk us through some of those things and just to mention some of my memories. Before I do, I want to give you a, a different type of warning. When I worked for West Vaco Corporation, and it was a large corporation, we were a 500 uh, company, Fortune 500 company, uh, corporations got very concerned about the fact that there was no employee loyalty to the employer anymore. And they spent an awful lot of hundreds of millions of dollars to a group to do, to do the research. And it, it, kind of humorously, they came back and the answer was, well, if you're not loyal to the employer, employee, why should they be loyal to you? 
could have told them that the first three seconds. That's not the point. The point was this. They found out a trend in corporations that was shocking. And the thing that was shocking was I recognized it also in churches. And it's part of my warning to us for today. What they found out was the first generation of a corporation is made up of the people that did the sweat equity. They worked hard. They did the digging. They were there 18 hours a day. They understood what it cost to get that corporation on its feet and to get it working. And a standard business has to be able to make absolutely nothing for the first five years if it's going to have a good chance to make it. It's going to take that long to get on your feet. So the first generation are the founders, the people that understood exactly what was involved, exactly what the cost for that corporation had been. Their children, however, were born into semi-affluence. Their parents were the founders, and they understood, and they reminded their children, you know, you've got to be really careful to watch and be careful to do the things that we did to keep this going in the future. You've got to invest yourself. But interestingly, usually the children of the founders are never actually asked to do that. Their parents want a better life for them than they had. And then the children of the children, the grandchildren of the founders, the third generation, are born into affluence. The children didn't want to waste their own children's time by hearing all the boring old stories that their parents told them. And so the only thing the third generation knows is, man, we got it made. We got money. We got position. Didn't work for any of it. So their work ethic basically is at, le at the best extremely poor, at the worst non-existent. And that third generation very commonly and very often destroys that corporation. They don't want to work. They don't want to invest. They don't want to spend all the time. They want days off. Uh, West Vaco had an interesting policy that I thought was really cool. In, in the, on the bottom end where I was, uh, you earned your vacation. You got so many after two years, so many after 10 years. You get the point. There was a max at the time that was six weeks. Uh, and I finally got to that after 25 years. Uh, but even after I left them, they dropped it to four. They, they didn't want the worker bees to not be there because if the worker bees aren't there, they're not going to do the work. As a general rule, most of the time the dudes at the top don't know how to do the work on the bottom. They have to trust their employees. But guess what the vacation allowance for was for the senior vice president and the president? It was unlimited. If he could put on a sheet of paper why he felt he needed that because it had been so stressful these last few months. He could take off six months with pay if he wanted to. It was no problem. That's how the third generation destroys the company. Guess what? David and John Luke out of Luke, Maryland were the founders. John Luke Jr. was the manager when I came along. Third generation, the company doesn't exist anymore. It worked out that way for West Vaco. The same thing happens often in a church. This church had people donate land and cut timber off of their own land to, to build the things that were here. And they sweat and worked and died and prayed with very little benefit coming back other than they were allowed to worship in a house that they built. 
We didn't have one pastor. We had one pastor for five churches. This was a mission field back then. We're just several generations away, and God has blessed us beyond understanding. That being the case, now is the time if a church is going to fail, it turns in the wrong direction. We get comfortable. We don't have to be on 14 committees. Somebody will do it. We don't have to pray every day. We can pray some. Have you ever had a person that's kin to you and they're very ill and they're at death's door? Do you pray once a day or once a week for that person? You pray all the time, daily. This church is not God, but the folks sitting in here are. And we're not praying for each other like the generation behind me prayed for each other. And they didn't pray for each other like the founders did. We have slipped. We are in affluence. We are in a very nice building. We have a, I'm not going to call it a comfortable cushion in the building fund. We've got a ridiculous cushion in the building fund because of the faithfulness of the people and faithfulness of God. And guess what? To whom much is given, much is required. That's not your money. It's God's money. This is not your building. It's his building. Guess what? You're not your own. You are God's if you are a child of God. And you committed to be a bond slave to Christ. Do you act like it? Here's some of the things that we went through in the past here. And I won't use names in some of the spots. I'll use it if I'm stuck in there. But I'm not going to use names. But the, the incidents and the occasions are very real. Here's one of the mistakes we've always made. We didn't ever do that before. We never done it that way here. You ever heard that? Many years ago, Gwen Fitzgerald, Pastor Mike's wife, was the Piedmont Baptist Association's VBS director. She suggested some new ideas to try to Clifford's VBS director, who was me. I was polite about it, I think, and I just basically patted Gwen on the head and said, you know, honey, I've done this about eight years. I think I know what I'm doing. I look back now, I am embarrassed beyond belief. <clears throat> Uh, that I thought I knew so much. And I just said, look, they're nice ideas for a big church somewhere, but they're not going to work here. There isn't enough time. And I discounted And Gwen, being Gwen, just said, no problem, no worries. They're suggestions, not, not requirements, so do what you think is right. So I went home, and the Lord talked to me quite a while for a couple of days, and that who told you you were right? Why do you think you know this won't work? By the way, have you tried it? Uh, actually, no, Lord, I haven't tried it. So I didn't tell Gwen what I was going to do, of course. But I decided I'll give it a try kind of under the radar because I didn't want to be any more embarrassed than I already was. Tried these two ideas, worked on three or four days, implemented the opening day of Vacation Bible School, and our Vacation Bible School increased 25% the first year we did it. So, church, it is extremely unwise, quite frankly, it borders on stupid, for a church to assume that you, don't, you should never try something you've never done before. That's absolutely a killer. I remember going to Pastor Mike and said, I learned a lesson. He said, oh, what's the lesson? I said, the next time your wife suggests something to me and I really don't think it's a good idea, I'm going to do it quick. He said he does the same thing, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Next issue, tread lightly in dealing with issues. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. If you're looking for a church that you may feel like you need to have moved from where you are, you're checking them out, seeing who they are, what they're like, my recommendation is attend a business meeting. In a business meeting, you'll see the heart of that church. You'll see if they discuss or argue. You'll see if they disagree or have unity. You will also usually see who the disagreeers are and whether they'll give in at all. What you'll find out very quickly is, is the church teachable or any of the people in the church teachable or are they the same old purple plastic fake Christian things that we see in a lot of other churches where they're doing what they want and not what he wants? Check it out. A valuable a lesson that I learned from Pastor Mike, because he's the one that did this, I can remember being so concerned about business meetings here in the 60s and 70s that my stomach was in a knot before I ever went, because there was going to be a disagreement. The only question was how many and how bad. Uh, I'm not joking. This church at one time, 50 years ago, was called that little fighting church down the road. They loved to disagree with each other, and we did. And Mike got an idea that clearly came from the Lord. He said, we're going to fix this because I'm not going to have it. He said, at business meetings, you people can talk about any single thing you want to talk about as long as it's put on the agenda in advance. And if you bring up something that's not on the agenda, I'm not going to allow it. Very first meeting, somebody popped up to say something. Sorry, sir, that's not on the agenda, but we'll be happy to take care of that next month. Um, he implemented that on one Sunday quarterly business meeting. Some 40 years later plus, we have never had a single argument in a business meeting since. Not one. Same people. A little different organization. The lesson is it is very unwise to spring a subject or something major on your church out of the blue. Don't do that. If you lead them into it, let them know something's being thought about. Here's what we're thinking about. Here's what we've got out. Go and pray about it. I'll sleep on it a few nights. See if you think it's a good idea or not. And then we'll talk. Everybody has time to think about it. When you get together, nobody is surprised and scared. Nobody's embarrassed. Nobody has been ambushed. They thought it through. That's a lesson we need to remember. I don't care if you're talking on an individual but we are absolutely talking on a pastoral level. Do not drop a bomb on your church. That's just foolish. It is not going to go well. And if it doesn't, it's your fault. I don't mean your fault. I mean your fault, the pastor. Trust God. Don't trust programs. This is one that absolutely astounded me. About 10 or 12 years ago, there was a conference held at Eagle Irie where the five fastest-growing churches in central Virginia area, our area, were invited to be on stage as a panel so that the attendees could ask questions, to get ideas. What would you do to get the growth going? What would you do at your church? We'd like to learn from what you did. So five, four of the five panel members on the, that were up there went through. They talked about different really amazing programs. One of the things we heard two or three times was the Orange program, and that, that really is a program. Orange is a major children's Sunday school program. It's a good program. There's nothing wrong with the program. The problem is who you trust in. 
the program or the guy that sent the program. So four of these people say it, the orange program, the whatever program, we use this type of thing. We have satellite churches. We do it this way. We have two worship services with Sunday school in the middle. We have no Sunday school at all. We have small groups. They got to the final panel member, and he said very honestly, well, we don't use programs. So they said, well, then what did you do? The answer was, his answer was, we pray a lot. We have people praying for the sermon as it's being preached every week. Our deacons meet every Sunday morning to pray for the church before service. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting every week. And finally, the gentleman said, all of our church leadership has finally decided it might be a good idea to just ask God what he wants to do and then do that. The audience said, yes, but what program did you use? And he tried again. After the third time of saying the same thing, they just kind of patted him on the head and went on. Basically, what they thought was this gentleman had the Kentucky Fried Chicken secret recipe and just didn't want to share it. And he told the truth. How sad is it that this one person couldn't convince an entire auditorium at Eagle Eye of pastors and church leaders that it would be a good idea to pray to God and ask him what he wanted to do. And then just let him do it. They couldn't get it, they didn't buy it, they did not believe it. Never trust a program, no matter how good it is, above God's wisdom. And never assume God's wisdom until you ask him what it is. Next point, pay attention to the back door, not just the front door. That's an odd one. Actually, it's very explanatory in a way. Uh, it means that if you have 50 new members joining every two months, but you also have 50 members, old members leaving every two months, you ought to pretty much find out why there's a hole in your bucket. Seeking to gain new members is important, but it's more important in my, my personal mind to find out why are people getting dissatisfied and leaving. If you use statistics and in interviews and find that out, you will find out very quickly there are two benefits. One, people will appreciate that you actually cared enough to ask them. And two, you'll find out where the hole in the bucket is. There's something you're not doing as a church. There's some area of ministry we're missing completely if we keep losing people out of the back end of the church. There are many, many church leaders that only look at the top number. We were 730 last month in membership, and we're 732 today. Of course, they overlooked the fact that 150 joined and 152 joined and 150 left. There was a two gain, and that's all they remembered. Now, don't trust my math. I might not make that work, but I'm not good in math. But you get the point. The point is constructive criticism is in totally valuable totally necessary, and it should be desired by pastors and leaders, not shied away from because you might tell me I'm not doing something good. Guess what? If I'm not doing something good, it's bad. If I'm not doing something good and don't know it, it's going to get worse. It isn't going to get better. It doesn't go away. When was the last time you saw a wildfire start this big and just sit there and stay that size? If you put it out quick, it stays small. You cover the deal. It's done and forgotten. If you leave it alone, it can build to a point where you can't catch the fire anymore. It can happen in a church. Churches and pastors and church leaders 
This is crucial, have to, have to, have to be teachable. You got to realize you don't know everything. Folks, you may see me up here speaking at the moment, but you have the same Holy Spirit in you teaching you if you know the Lord that I've got in me, and he's telling you the same stuff. We work for the same guy. There's no difference in level here. This is just my job description, and I'm just sharing stuff I can remember. I should listen to you. I'm not going to learn by looking in the mirror. I have found out the hard way that when I make a mistake, I do this in math. I had some problems that I had to work with back in, uh, in surveying in college many years ago, uh, highway surveying, was laying out an interstate curve, and the problem itself took two and a half pages to fill out the question. And I didn't have a calculator. I worked that full thing through three or four times, got the same answer each time. I got a friend to look at, I made the exact same mistake every time. We don't see our own mistakes. You just don't. You have to have people that will breathe into you, speak into your ministry, invest in you to help you do things better. Two things happen there. The knothead pastor learns, which helps me a ton, and the person has skin in the game because their advice was, was heeded and taken. Now it's your church. You're helping lead it. You've got more investment here than you did. Churches need to be teachable. Don't try to keep ministries going just to keep people happy. Now this is, a, as the English would say, a very sticky wicket. You have old Pastor Clyde who's done this job since there was dirt. And he, it's his program, and he's done it forever, and he's up there. Just look at him. He's got all, both people came to the class again today. And one of them was dead. <laughs> Everything has a season. It's Ecclesiastes. It's not just fancy words that sounded neat that Solomon wrote down. We will always do the same thing. The whole deal at Clifford is the gospel. Preach the gospel, him crucified, risen from the dead, at the right hand of the Father. That's the gospel. But you can teach the same thing in different ways. You're going to have to adapt your methodology of teaching the exact same thing to the current situation. The culture that the people you're preaching to are living in. You can say the same thing exactly in a different way. In new, you do it all the time. Uh, anybody in here that does not have a King James Version Bible, you're doing it just by having a, a Bible that's not King James Version because that's called dynamic equivalence. That means you take the truth right here in the, the translation you trust the most, and I turn around and I, I tell my brother Harold there what it means in my own words. I never forget... We had a class one time, and I was trying hard to explain the intricacies of how to know if you were going to heaven or hell, and what was hell like, and where was hell. And somebody asked me, well, if they never accept Christ over here, whatever, what do they? And I, I could have gone into it and said, well, they have committed the unpardonable sin, and they have last, lost their last chance to change because now they're dead and they can't change their mind. What I said was, well, they're toast. <laughs> Same thing. That's dynamic equivalent. That might not be the politest way to say somebody went the other way, but they're toast. For eternity, they're toast. They ain't never going to not be toast. It's better to decide on this side. That's the way it tends to work. 
We don't keep ministries going to keep people happy. When the ministry begins to lose its oomph, lose its power, lose its shine, nobody's excited about being there anymore. Change it. Sometimes that means you go to old Pastor Clyde and say, old Pastor Clyde, you're old Pastor Clyde. You might want to do something a little different. That's the hard one. But it sometimes happens. Personally, my entire time of teaching, I have begged people, please, when I get where you don't want to hear me anymore, tell me so I can do something else. I need to be teachable. If a program works perfectly, we did Bible school several many different ways over the 30-some-odd years we've done it. And the way we did, I find the first time I did that, I was the director for about 30 years. Uh, Tracy Wilburn was with me about eight of those years. Uh, I thought, man, we got this down. This process I'm doing right now is nailing it. And it worked beautiful for four years. And then went, and it quit working. I thought, what did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. I just did the same thing over and over again. Now it's time to do the same thing a different way. So we started changing it. We've worked it out. Preaching, the st- subjects you do, if, if you've been preaching in Leviticus for six and a half years, they probably like a little bit of the Gospel of John. <laughs> it ain't going to help. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Be careful as leaders of the church, board of directors, personnel. Be careful as chairmen of departments, the pastoral staff, the office staff. Look honestly and objectively at everything we're doing, and if it's going stale, please tell us so we can fix it. Bring in some fresh something, Uh, whatever that takes. That is a mistake that we have made in the past. It is a mistake I've seen many churches make. Here's one that's a little touchy. Don't build a facility before clarifying vision, strategy, and need versus want. This can be a very difficult decision to make when deciding to build, expand, or wait on the Lord. It's extremely easy to mistake our own personal vision for what God wants. The temptation is to make the decisions based on what Reggie McNeil, a Christian motivational speaker I heard at the Baptist General Association of Virginia 10 or 15 years ago said, and he called it the false assurance of the three Bs. Reggie's point was, The danger of using the wrong yardstick will put you in a world of debt and a world of hurt because you went the wrong way. The three B's are buildings, bodies, and budgets. Most pastors assume if I got lots of buildings and lots of body in my lots of buildings and lots of money in my lots of accounts, I'm in the center of God's will, I can tell because I got buildings, bodies, and budgets. No. The most spiritual church I've ever stood in to preach was a stick church about 10 or 15 feet by 20 feet. And by stick, I mean crooked stick stuck in the ground you could stick your hand through. And the people in there were sold out to God. They didn't have anything. The possessions we have as a Christian church have nothing to do with the level of our spirituality. Nothing. And in fact, can be the greatest hindrance to becoming closer to God that you can have. And we'll talk about that just in a minute. Make sure that you remember we're stewards of God's money and we got to do what he wants us to do with it. The lesson here is very simple. Do your due diligence as a member, not as the pastors. I mean every single soul on the roll. And by the way, that's 952 of you. So we ought to be able to get a good decision. 
Do due diligence in honestly assessing every possibility. Do not spin the facts in a direction that agrees with what you feel. Divorce personal desires and biases from the process. And now you might be close enough to where you can hear what God's going to say. Simply get yourself out of the way and let me get myself out of the way. He'll be happy to tell us. Are we happy to do what he says if it's not what we want? We shouldn't take care of ourselves and neglect the community around us. There are people in their neighborhood we've never witnessed to. One of my favorite pastors to listen to, I love the gentleman. He's with the Lord now, Dr. E.V. Hill from Los Angeles. Love that man's preaching. When he preached, it's just like the spirit landed on me like a ton of bricks. He said for years he had preached at his church there in Los Angeles, I believe it was. And uh, he had been there and he had ministered. He had community outreach programs. He had all this cool stuff. And there was a guy across the street one day. He, he was getting ready to leave and he just saw this guy directly across the street from the main entrance to his church who was mowing his, like, mowing his grass. And he thought, I don't think I've ever seen him in my church. He walked over and said, hi, my name is Dr. Evie Hill, and I just wondered if you'd ever consider coming to my, to my church. He said, Dr. Hill, I'd have considered it a long time ago. Nobody ever asked me. We tend to miss the thing closest to us. Yes, I'm all for international missions. That's what God leads me to think about most of the time. That's my heart. But there are local missions that other people's heart is for. You know what? True missions has absolutely nothing at all to do with location. Nothing. It has only to do with obedience. Where does God want you to be? That's the deal. You are just as much a missionary if you're called to the other side of the bed in your house to share the Lord with your wife or your husband as you are if you're called to go to India, where Casey's been for some years now, where we saw about you're both being faithful. The only question, it has nothing to do with where you are. Are you doing what God's asking you to do? To do? How about stop debating about whether a church should have Sunday school, small groups, or missional communities? I don't know how close you keep up with this kind of stuff, but churches tend to pick one or the other. The amazing, to me, obvious answer to whether you should do Sunday school, small groups, or missional communities, it's yes. That's the answer. The churches that stick only to tried and true Sunday school format tend to get stale and older as the older generation ages out, but you still need it. The churches that, that follow the small group format do great for a while, and they format, form little groups that are vital, seven, eight, ten people in. Those people love each other, know each other, and they can lift and carry each other's desires and needs. They can do that, but they're not connected to the church as a whole at all and therefore have very little in the way of leadership or overall guidance as to where are you trying to go with this. The churches that select missional communities, meaning somewhere else, uh, whether it's overseas or over the next county line, run the risk of reaching outward but not inward. All three of these tend to focus on their own point, and you need all three to cover all of the needs in the church. A church that incorporates all the methods will cover all the bases, this is teaching 101. Ask a teacher how they learn to teach. They'll tell you that in school, if they were trained, they were told that people learn differently. You have, I think it's called kinesthetic learning, visual learning, audio learning. So that means if you're teaching a good class, you need to teach it in a way that has movement. They can see it or they can hear it. That way, everybody in class gets what they need. You pick one of those, you've lost two-thirds of your class. 
If a church picks one thing, it will lose ministry to two-thirds of the people out there because they're not touching them where they need. Don't throw the baby out with the wash. This happens, and this is a, a stern talk to ourselves as well as to other churches in a way. Don't expect people that come into new positions to be the people that just left those positions. Christians are terrible about this. Now, I realize that the natural human tendency is to reject and dislike change. But when we do that, we cheat ourselves out of the gifts and talents of the new one. If God has been leading us to this point, and we prayed for God to do that and to make sure we do what we're supposed to do and he bring the right people to vacation Bible school or to the pastorate or to the choir directory or to the greeters at the doors, we should embrace who we get as who God sent. Did you not think he was going to answer the prayer? You see where I'm going with this? The same thing applies when implementing a new program. Give it a little while to, to get in its groove. You don't do it two Sundays and go, yep, yep, tried that going on. That did not work. Give it some time to create its own groove and to figure out where it's going. Remember Gideon. Before God could convince Gideon of his new direction, he had to personally appear, supernaturally burn an offering off of a rock altar, and provide a wet fleece and then a dry fleece to even get his attention. Sounds like that Gideon's a Baptist to me. It's pitiful. We tend to cut our nose off to spite our face because we pray for God to change something for the better. When he changes anything, we're, we're ticked off. Really? Think about what you're praying. Follow your church constitution and bylaws. It's crucial. Your church and bylaws are not there to hurt you. Your constitutional church or con church constitution and bylaws are there very simply to protect you. You selected a group of men and women to prayerfully seek out the issues that the church needed, decide where the proper boundaries were, and then set them up. It's a living document. If you find out that it doesn't, it no longer touches the reality that you're living in, amend it. But have it and live by it. If you choose to do that, uh, to walk away from it and to cut a corner in order to make something um, happen quicker, you're going to hurt yourself in the church. You're going to work yourself into a corner. It's going to be real hard to get out of. The last one I want to do is a double. It's transparency and accountability. I beat on this in my Sunday school class a long time. I've done, I've done it for years, and it's because I believe it wholeheartedly. I try very hard to live by it. As a, your pastor, I should be transparent to you for everything. There is only one reason I don't want to be transparent for you. I don't want you to know what I'm doing. Do not allow the leadership of a church to hide things and just put major programs behind the scenes and you don't know what's coming until, oh yeah, this just happened. Hope you enjoy the new one. That's not right. You need to be able to check me at any time of the day or night, check my finances, check the people that know me, ask the people I used to work with, ask anybody in the church if they know what's going on with Clyde. And if they don't, there's an issue. 
that you need to fix. That's the transparency half. The other half is accountability. We have to have people in the church that are trusted men and women that are mature in the Lord that can stop your pastor from doing something. If they can't stop them, there's no accountability. Who died and left me smart? Ask the people that have been friends for mine for 40 or 50 years. If you say, does he ever mess up? You'll go, let, they'll go, let me count the ways. You want them alphabetically or in order? Um, I'll mess up any old. Somebody told me the only time I take my foot out of my mouth is to, is to switch feet. And I said, yes, sir. Accountability means you have the authority to check out everything that's transparent and stop your pastor if he's going in the wrong direction or your board of directors or your choir or whoever. It is crucial. In a, a letter to Bishop Creighton on April 5th, 1887, Lord Acton said this, power tends to corrupt, absolute power corrupts, corrupts absolutely. I'm done going through the what we did wrongs. I'm happy to say that as far as I know, we're not doing any of those wrong anymore. But we're on that edge that is so dangerous because we're doing well. It is at that precise point that most civilizations, most churches, and most Christians make a misstep. They relax. Satan is extremely smart and he is extremely patient. He will wait until you turn your back. Quote a friend of mine, if you walk a slick creek bank long enough, you're going to eventually slip and fall in. Stay in the safe zone. If you're here this morning, maybe you're thinking, well, that didn't have anything to do with me because... I'm not leading in the church. If you're sitting in this congregation, I'm accountable to you. You do have something to do. But more importantly, we all have an accountability partner. His name is Jesus. I've come to him and confessed my sins, and he has forgiven me even though I still fall. Maybe someone is here that has not done that yet. Consider if these things are important for a church that I've mentioned. They're actually more important for you as an individual. You either have Jesus or you don't. Let's boil the whole thing down for the church and for the individual. Don't do anything until you check with God first. Then do exactly what he says, exactly the way he said. Exactly as much as he said, with no more extra than he said, all the time. We'll both stay straight. If you need Jesus, you come. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for the folks that are here. Please remove me from what I was trying to say and hoping you spoke through me. Lord, bless our church to stay your church, not anyone in its church. We ask that you continue to guide us. I ask that you continue to guide me. Keep me straight through my friends, through the Holy Spirit, through your word, Lord so that you can still use me. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.